Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com.au slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.au. In this episode, we spoke with V Lung Fan. V is the founder of Track Record Asia and former head of trading across multiple divisions for Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley. V made his way into the industry by chance after realizing there was no real opportunity back home during the 97 Asia financial crisis. Fast forward 13 plus years and V has co-founded a hedge fund. He's run multiple divisions for both Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley, as well as co-founded a machine learning tech startup in Singapore. Track Record Asia is a financial trading academy for trading teams and banks and professional traders alike. It is designed to teach you the frameworks learnt in his days across first-class institutions that we covered in this episode today. V is a great guy with a wealth of experience across the industry. This is a brilliant episode where we cover Singapore and his childhood in Kuala Lumpur, uni life in Manchester and how he actually got into trading, lessons learned from his mother, career path, his trading training framework from Track Record Asia and things like biggest mistakes in this business. Now, we have a special competition for you guys as well. Three listeners to this episode can win a free copy of V's recommended trading book, which is called The Next Perfect Trade, and that'll be autographed by the author, Alex Gurevich, as well. Participants will need to provide their feedback on his episode via trackrecordasia.com slash podcast. So, that's T-R-A-C-K-R-E-C-O-R-D-A-S-I-A dot com slash podcast all submitted entries will also receive free 12-week access to track record asia's weekly risk call recordings and the week ahead market report so a nice little prize there for you if you're willing to give it a go Uh, if you enjoy this episode uh, do subscribe on your podcast app and share with one of your friends but with all that being said, thanks so much for listening. Let's get into the episode with V Lung Fan. V, thank you very much for joining us in what I think is a very early morning in Singapore for you. Um, first question for you and probably the most important one is uh, what frustrates you the most about living in Singapore? 
Ah, okay. Hi. Morning. Um, in Singapore, um, the most frustrating thing in Singapore is the weather. It's a uh, it's unreasonably hot sometimes, hot and humid. I think without yeah. uh, with better weather, Singapore will be just the perfect place on earth. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, and. I was going to say, what's it like today? What's the weather like today? Uh, it's usually the same. It's either hot or it's raining. So uh, it's not raining. So it's probably hot out there, out, outside. Interesting. Now, you didn't grow up in Singapore. I think um, from memory, you spent your formative years in or just around the suburbs of Kuala Lumpur. I'm I'm curious as to what sort of your earliest memory of your own childhood. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in a small town outside of Kuala Lumpur, and uh, my earliest memory was really fuzzy, and it was literally fuzzy because uh, I had really bad eyesight when I was really young. But no, nobody, no, oh, wow. nobody knew this. So, so I was just going around thinking that that is normal for me to not be able to see clearly. So I found out that when I was uh, about. 10 years old that my eyesight was really bad because the teacher started started to realize that how come this guy he he couldn't couldn't really repeat anything <laughs> on the board until he gets really close to the front right and strangely enough because uh, my whole family they were all short sighted but uh, I was the only one who was uh, who was not discovered because my mom kept thinking that or oh, because uh, I could memorize most of the things that I see he, he, his eyesight is really good because uh, he, he knows what's going on but actually I couldn't see most of it so, so it's really strange <laughs> what, <laughs> what happened did you get that fixed like did you get glasses or did you eventually get, you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so I got my uh, I got glasses at uh, at 10 years old and uh, my prescriptions was I'm not sure how you guys say it was like uh, 400 for me so it's like 0.4 okay that's, that's huge, right? Because um, most people start around 50 to 100. Really? Uh, yeah, it eventually deteriorated to about 1,000, which is almost legally blind. <laughs> then, wow. <laughs> so I had to uh, had a, a corrective glasses, which is really thick. So I was uh, one of those little kids with really thick glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can imagine that. How cliche. That's hilarious. Uh, do you, When you were growing up, was there... Anything in particular that you thought you were going to be as an adult, like a particular job? Oh, yes. I was uh, very determined to be Spider-Man. Spider-Man, okay. Spider-Man, yeah. And then I realized it's not realistic. So then I thought I'll become a scientist because that's what Peter Parker was. So I was was very, very, very set on being a scientist. And then as I grew older, I realized that being in Malaysia, you're a scientist, you probably end up you know, researching about rice, uh, different strains of rice and or rubber trees or, or palm palm trees. Uh, so so I thought that's not realistic. I'm not going to make any money from there. So then I decided to uh, settle on being an engineer. And that's like, that's what I studied in school I, uh, I, at university, right? I, I did a, a degree in uh, electronic engineering. That's right, yeah. You went to the University of Manchester, the Institute of um, Science and Technology. So you did a bachelor, bachelor's of electronic engineering. I think this is around the peak of um, the Asian financial crisis, right? Why, why go to Manchester? 
out of interest. Why go to Manchester? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I applied for Cambridge. They rejected me. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to go to Oxford or Cambridge, but uh, I, I decided to do Cambridge because there was no test required during the, the, the selection process. So I was quite lazy. Then uh, they rejected me. So then uh, the best engineering school in the uh, UK at the time, I probably is, is so still, is the uh, Imperial College of London. And they... Uh, yeah, they gave me a, a, a delayed deferred entry, so I would have to go the next year, and I, I thought, oh, that's that's silly. I don't want to. So then, um, I went to the next best, which was actually a very distant next best, uh, which is the University of Manchester. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I, I find it so funny that you mentioned that mentality, that Asian mentality of not wanting to. I guess, waste your time and defer. I remember I had that as a kid. My family's Greek, so it's sort of oh, a, yeah. a, similar, a similar mentality. You get in those Southern European families where you just want to make money. Yes. And uh, I, I find it curious because, I mean, this was the peak of 97 when you graduated, I think, or around that time. Um, it seemed at least in a few of your bios that there was a mention of no real job op- opportunities back home. Obviously, um, and you sort of stumbled your way into working for, uh, which was Chase Manhattan, now JP Morgan Chase, as you wanted to get in from a computer science perspective, but eventually it seems you're working on the FX and trading side. I'm curious, when you got into that bank, what was sort of the elements that excited you enough to continue going on with trading in FX, commodities, and so forth. I'm just wondering what was going through your head at the time. Well, I, I just finished school. I had no money at all. Uh, and they offered me a job and they provided training. So I thought, that's great, right? It's, the pay is way more than what I would have as an, as a, as an engineer. At the time, it was the peak of the NASDAQ boom so i so yeah. i applied for it i wanted to be in the it department and all and they said they have no it jobs how about uh trading so i, I said i have no clue what trading was but the guy says <laughs> just give it a shot i said like, okay whatever just i'll just give it a shot and see what happens and i went through all the tests all the interviews and truly i had no idea what i was in for so i told them as such at the beginning i said i have no clue what trading is but i will learn if you are willing to teach so i think they probably like that because most of the people that were going there, they were finance backgrounds, finance majors with uh, maybe PhDs and all. And everybody seems to think uh-huh. they have figured what tra- figured out what trading was. Interesting. So I went, went in with an open mind and uh, I stayed because the money was good and I was being, <laughs> being paid to learn. For three months, there was a classroom, classroom-based training. So I was going to classes. And after that, it was just... Hanging, hanging out with uh, different trading desks to see what they do. So uh, that was quite quite good for me. I thought it was quite cool given that I, I, all I had to do yeah. was turn up and learn and they're paying me for it. So happy days. Well, I'm curious how you perceive yourself personality-wise. I mean, my experience in the industry is you get two types of people generally. The type that just love the excitement of the trade you know, the market environment, the pressure involved in it. And then you get the other types who are very calm, cool, and collected no matter what is going on. I'm curious as to how you see yourself. What sort of mentality do you sit within 
um, when it comes to trading uh, that's markets? A good question. I I think I I would <laughs> like to think of myself as calm and collected, like James Bond. But probably that's that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, uh, I'm quite um, animated at work. Uh, so some people will think that it's it's kind of strange that I I'm always commenting on something uh in fact that's that that's actually why why uh i got um many opportunities at, at a very state early stage of my career because i was observing every single market that really had nothing to do with me and i'll be making comments oh that or oh, this uh this thing is higher this thing is moving and uh, i was basically the <laughs> the the i guess the the loudspeaker for Bloomberg News, right? So I was in the days where, where headlines were kind of difficult to find, I would be commenting on every single headline that come out and why markets are moving. And uh, wow. yeah, so, so that's why I got uh, quite a lot of attention as the as a junior trader because uh, I thought, oh, what's up with this kid, right? The guy, he seems, to, he seems to be aware of what's happening all around the world. But I was literally reading every single headline that comes out, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so funny and how you put your name out there through that sort of externalization I, I really like that when you were growing up were there particular lessons that you hold with you today maybe it's a principle a lesson maybe it was something that was taught to you directly or indirectly from either of your parents uh yeah my mom was a was a very cool person and i remember this one time uh she was driving me to school and uh, she was always very suspicious of whether I was uh, take, uh, taking drugs or not because <laughs> I was a really <laughs> small kid and I didn't seem to be uh, growing at all. And uh, I, looks, I, I, I looked really thin then. And, uh, and I was really small compared to my peers. And so she was always worried that I'll be, uh, I'll be bullied or I'll be joining a gang or something like that, right? Forced to peer pressured into joining a gang. So she said to me... Uh, are you taking any drugs? <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> no. Why, where did that come from, right? And she says, uh, no, I just want to make sure you know, never do drugs. I said, okay. And then she says, there's also another thing that you need to know. She says, never join a gang. I said, because that, that was a huge problem. That's a problem in the schools that uh, the neighborhood, school, neighborhood schools that I was going to at that time, right? Uh, so, really? yeah, I mean, I, uh, I wasn't from a very... Uh, well-to-do family, so we, we we didn't live in the best neighborhoods. So the schools mm. were not that great, right? So there there were gangs dominant at the time, and uh, and it's either you are in the gang or you are being bullied by the gang, right? So she's always worried about that. So she said to me, so she says, uh, don't don't join a gang. I said, okay, sure, of course, right? I was I was kind of a nerd back then, so that was very far from my from my mind, right? I mean, who wants to <laughs> who who would recruit a nerd into the gang anyway? So, but she said, they, they, this is where it gets interesting. She says, but if you do join, don't be the henchman. You got you have to be the boss, right? <laughs> they, wow. they I, I like that the the first assumption was that uh, you were doing drugs and you were in a gang. Yeah. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so 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 that that is really funny to me because she says if you if you really need to join, you have to be the boss. You cannot be the henchman, and that because it's really weird because I was a really small kid. How how would it be possible for a small kid to become the boss of the gang? And she says to me, it really doesn't matter uh, how big you are in life, right? It's all about how you carry yourself. He says you are like a like a 
chili. So in Malaysia, we have different types of chili and the spiciest is the one that's the smallest. So he says, you're like that, right? <laughs> you have to be just like that. You have to be the spiciest. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, so, and and that, that's, a, that's a lesson my mom taught me, right? Because uh, when I was really young, as I told you, my, my eyesight was really bad. So I did really poorly in school. And I remember I didn't really know how to read when I was six years old, when I went to uh, school uh, after kindergarten, I only knew 26 words in English. And that's because they taught me from A to Z, right? I only knew 26 words. And I was really surprised. The boy next to me could spell boy. I was like stunned. I said, wow, this guy is a genius. How does he know this? I, said, I only, <laughs> when the teacher says, what's B? I said, ball. I thought that's the only thing I know, right? And then he says, no boy. I said, wow, how does he know boy? And then some other people said, some yeah. others, I thought they were all geniuses, right? So, and there were, the teachers did have conversations with my, my, my mom. And she was like, your son is a little bit slow. Huh? He doesn't know a lot of things. <laughs> but that never deterred my mom. My mom always told me, uh, she always managed to convince me that I'm doing really well, right? Because I said, keep doing what you do. As long as you do your best, it's fine. So I was from the worst classes in the beginning till when I had uh, better eyesight that I became really a really good student. And throughout the whole period, she never doubted me and never made me feel like an, I'm an idiot, right? Which I guess I kind of was, right? But she always convinced me that wow. you can be the best as long as you... As long as you, you can be the boss, right? As long as you try, that's all you need to do. <laughs> so, so I grew up with a with a with a with a sense that I was uh, I was kind of like the chosen guy, right? I have this invulnerability. I could do anything that I want, right? I'll go try it out for sports games where I couldn't do it because the kids are all bigger than me. But in my mind, I was thinking it's okay, right? I'm gonna try, right? <laughs> That's really interesting. So your mom sort of instilled this um, initiative to just keep keeping on, yeah. which is interesting. She sounds like a great mom. Um, I, I'm curious, when it got into the, the nuts and bolts of uh, your career generally, and I mean, I went back and looked at your career and you've done a lot. You know, if you, if, if you look at it across uh, just what's on LinkedIn, I mean, you've worked across FX, interest rates, equity markets, multiple cities... London, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Seoul for a while. Um, I think your beginnings at JP Morgan, you eventually worked at uh, Deutsche, Morgan Stanley. You ran a head, uh, you co founded a hedge fund rather um, with your old boss from JP Morgan. Um, so there's a lot going on there. And I, th- I, d- I just wonder looking back at your career as both a trader and a manager, what stands out to you as the biggest insight from your time? in the industry? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so I traded kind of almost most of the developed markets and quite a lot of the emerging markets and in different centers, as you said. And it was very interesting for me in that um, I could uh, figure out the markets very quickly regardless of their in- idiosyncrasies, right? And that's because I think uh, at the heart of it, almost every market, I think, Still, every every market is traded is driven by uh, human activity, right? So his human instincts, human behaviors. So that's the commonality that runs through every single market. So it came to a point where, in our philosophy at uh, at Chase at the time, it was 
clear, very clear that it really doesn't matter what your background is, right? You could be an uh, Asian guy, but you can be parachuted into Mexico and figure out markets within one week to two weeks and then be really good at it after a few months. Interesting. Of course, you uh, being at the time uh, in, in the London trading room, the Asian guy typically was the IT guy. So I always felt that maybe it was a bit difficult for me, but my boss who who uh, I joined to co-found the hedge fund is my first boss in London. And uh, he, he ran the Scandinavian interest rate desk at that time. So, so I, I guess I was the first Asian guy from <laughs> Asia, uh, originally from Asia, to be trading in the Scandinavian markets, right? Because at the time, it's still, still an emerging market. Yeah. So all, almost all my colleagues, they were all blonde and blue-eyed, right? <laughs> wow. Interesting. And, and, for, and for some of them, the first time they ate noodles was they saw me eating a bowl of... Uh, uh, strange stuff. He's like, what the hell are you eating? I said, this is a udon. Would you like some? He says, okay, I'll try. And then after that, they were always eating Asian food, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this was in the 80s, was it? This was uh, in the 97, right? So it's not that. Ah, uh, very right, right. What bag am is- I saying? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I think of, this is in London, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've think, if I think of how much London has changed even now in the last seven years when it comes to Asian food, it's quite amazing. Um, and you could see <laughs> how them eating that, it would sort of open a whole new world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, that's they so, kind of, uh, that's I, so funny. I think also they were just really not adventurous. They were always having a salad or a sandwich, a salad or a sandwich, right? So, yeah, so I think uh, it was a, it was just a, a new experience for them that, oh, you can have this for, for lunch. I said, okay. <laughs> so you think the biggest insight then from your time was that in the industry, companies are essentially able to build up a person with a certain type of framework or a certain type of mindset or principles, and that allows that person to jump into any market, essentially. Um, and do as they please. Do you think that's sort of yes, accurate yes. to what you were saying? So, um, so the, the the commonalities of different markets they 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 are quite similar in that sense, right? Uh, so, of course, the product as products are different. It's very difficult for an interest rate trader to uh, start. It's actually easier for an interest rate trader to trade FX and FX trader to trade interest rates because uh, there's so many more dimensions. Uh, in interest rates, but uh, besides yeah. that, if you if you just if you you your back so if I'm an interest rate trader in uh, Singapore, if I go to Hong Kong, it should takes it should take a very short period of time before we can uh, um, uh, learn how to trade that markets, right? So, of course, uh, some some markets are more difficult than others in that the the lo- the news is in the, the local language, so you you have a uh, slightly slower reaction time, but generally, we we want people to get to that kind of uh, uh, level of uh, expertise, which, like you said, you know, basically it's uh, down to a framework. You learn this, learn, yeah, learn a set of principles to trade. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And that sort of brings me to what you're doing now, which is uh, both track record and. I think if I pronounce this right, Chantillium? It's Chantillium, correct. correct? Yes, correct. So, 
um, obviously in Singapore, you and and after your career within the industry, you had a few years off taking a sabbatical. Um, you now essentially run these two firms, and I think with track record from memory, it's it's more about financial training or financial trading academy, which essentially conducts training for trading teams and banks as well as training programs for retail traders. Um, and I found that really interesting because now that you've said or t- spoken about that sort of parachuting a guy in or a girl into a certain market no matter what, that you're sort of taking that same mentality and teaching people and saying, hey, it doesn't really matter what market you're in. So long as you fi- follow these guidelines and principles, you'll generally be able to work your way into a market so long as you know maybe you're passionate about it um, as well. I'm curious then, what are your general principles, uh, you know, how do you sort of generally teach people about this sort of stuff in your programs? What are sort of the general principles that come from that? Yeah, right, right. So when I took the, the, the years out after my, uh, after I left finance, after I left the bank, uh, at the time it was Morgan Stanley, and I, I, I did all the usual stuff, travel and uh, learn all this things that I've always wanted to learn, do all the things that I've wanted to do. But I spent a lot. I also spent a lot of time uh, thinking about if I was given the opportunity to talk to my younger self, right? How would I teach him? Uh, what can I, what advice can I give him to be a better person, a better trader? And so that's where I came up with the trading framework. It's a set of principles and I call it a framework because it's not like a set of rules is a set of principles where you can adjust based on your own personality on how uh, you can become a proficient trader. And uh, it's really interesting in that you, you mentioned that uh, it's interesting to you that uh, our philosophy at the time was that we have to reach a level of proficiency where we can be parachuted into any different markets in case uh, some people are going on vacation or be at a crisis to be able to trade different markets in a very short period of time. Yeah. And the, one of the most common questions that I get when I talk to people about my training program is they, they love to ask, especially from the retail sector, they love to ask, oh, are you teaching FX or are you teaching interest rates? They don't talk about interest rates. They always say FX, <laughs> commodities or equities, right? And they are very confused when I say I, I, when I say I'm, my training method training methods are agnostic, right? It really doesn't matter what markets you trade, but uh, as long as you follow these principles, you will be successful over long periods of time, right? So uh, it's very different from the the, the training providers uh, that are commonly out there, especially for the retail sector, where they they either focus on product, which I think is kind of a waste of time in the age of Google, right? Like you could just go online and you could learn, get all the product knowledge that you want for free. Uh, so mm. I, I don't believe in teaching people f- stuff that they can get online and probably much better than I can teach them and charge them free for it. So it's either product knowledge or it's a, a something that's very specific and they, they name, they give it really cool names. Like this is the pattern don't whatever right they love all these cool names like oh this is the three 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 principal math whatever method there's all these esoteric names of trading methods <laughs> and i think this this is what the, 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 the this kept what captures the the 
the imagination of the retail trader because they always think that there's a secret to trading that professionals know that they're not telling us. It's like the holy grail. And this guy on the internet, he's going to unveil to me, he's going to reveal to me what this holy grail principle is, right? And a this, silver bullet. Yes, a silver bullet. And this <laughs> secret method, I will only share with you because I like you so much and I've made so much money. <laughs> and uh, I just want to share because Wall Street is taking uh, uh, taking advantage of Main Street and I, I, I just really want to give back. So for a limited amount of time, call us. You'll be one of the few people that I want to teach in this world. And people believe that, right? I, I find that kind of strange. So so by my, my, yeah. my trading framework is based on uh, a set of principles where essentially I believe that uh, the trading process is a, is a simple, simple process, right? The sim- trading is really simple, uh, but it is not easy. And it's not easy because most of the things that you want to do that you're uh, you're engineered by your DNA to do your human instincts your human tendencies are really bad for trading right so you you tend to be greedy you tend to be fearful you tend to want to run with the mob uh, with the with the with the crowd rush with the crowd into different things and that's that's all instincts that uh, that that served you really well in the savannas, right? When we were all, uh, when the human beings were evolving. <laughs> but it's not really, it's not good at all for trading because you, it's really bad for you. And this is what my uh, framework does. It's to give you a set of uh, principles and a set of uh, methods that you can use to stop yourself from blowing up. Because if yeah. you trade... You, and, and if you trade and you continue to trade, the reason why you do so is because you make money, right? And that's quite, that's not difficult, right? Making money is not difficult. But the problem is losing money is a lot easier, right? So, so. yeah, it's just preventing that. And I, I remember when I first got into the industry, uh, when I was a lot younger, <laughs> I lost a lot of money trading oil futures. And that was sort of the moment where I took a step back and realized that. It's it's all about protect, protecting that downside. Yes, all um, right. I read a brilliant book about this. Um, it's called "What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars," um, and it's it's by uh, by an old uh, CME, um, you know, exchange executive, and and how he lost basically his life. He destroyed his life, uh, and it's very very fascinating. And it's it's sort of one of those things that people are so often looking at the upside, but very rarely looking at the downside, which sort of brings me to the thought, you know, of the people you see, whether they're in the banking industry or they're retail traders, what what do you think is the, the biggest mistake or waste of time that people make in this business? I guess the, the, the biggest mistakes that lead to eventual financial ruin is uh, their vanity, right? And uh, that's, that's, again, a very human instinct, right? when uh, they allow success to get to their head. Uh, that happens for both, uh, I think, retail traders and professional traders. And they start drinking their own Kool-Aid. They think they figured it out. So that's why most traders, they grow through yeah. periods of uh, success and then extremely bad result, right? Uh, so that's, that's why I say it. When they start to uh, make money, they, they become more casual in their risk management they start to take a lot more risk and uh, they blow their bankroll and that's the case with every uh, uh, successful trading 
uh, stories that story that you hear, right? They, when you ask all these uh, market wizards, all these guys who are really successful in trading, have long successful career tr- career that that spans number of years, not the people's flash in the pan that they catch a bubble or whatever. When they when they question about their secret of their success, they will always credit it to a seminal incident where they nearly lose everything or they did lose everything and then they realize that, you know, the most important thing is to stay in the game. So when you you believe in their own uh uh you start to get overconfident, your ego gets in the way, uh, then you start to believe that, you know, you're, 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 you're the best thing. You ever. Can, <laughs> yeah, you're the best thing. You figured it all out. And that's, uh, and as I look back upon the years of my career and I find that, you know, the, the, the time that I lose the most money was uh, usually, uh, it's actually not usually, it's always after a, a, a period of success. Interesting. So, yeah. That's very interesting. Now, look, um, we're already running out of time. Um, I'm going to have to try and convince you to come back on for another episode because there's a lot here I want to cover on the market itself, cryptocurrencies and technical analysis. But I'm going to have to finish off with some short, fast questions for you. Uh, what does your morning routine currently look like? So I wake up and uh, check the uh, the news from overnight. That's quite easy now because we we have a forum for this, and I'll just read through the forum and see uh, exactly what's going on uh, in the markets. So I have an idea what's going on. And what about in the evening? How do you sort of decompress at night? What do you get up to typically? Oh, decompress? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, just uh, have dinner with my friends, you know, uh, watch, read a bit, and uh, maybe watch a movie or so. There's nothing special. There's no secret routine. Uh, um, I do, I do try some, a bit of meditation now and then when uh, when I get a bit too active, just when I'm about to go to sleep. So it kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's really helpful. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not rocket science. You just uh, do five, ten minutes of uh, meditation. It, it works. Interesting. And if you had to gift a book to the audience, if you had to choose one book for Christmas time this year, something that's probably been the most influential on you. Um, this is what mainly I'm thinking about. What would that book be? A book. Uh, if we are talking yeah. about trading, uh, uh, my favorite. My favorite trading book is called The Next Perfect Trade. It's by a, a, a friend of mine. I worked with him in, uh, he, he wrote this, uh, I worked with him in uh, J.P. Morgan, New York, and he was uh, kind of a legend on the floor. He's one of the most uh, successful traders that I've worked with. He's a really, really smart guy, and he's uh, put down his uh, uh, thoughts on how to find the next perfect trades. And of course, I've been witness to the real deal, the, the way that he's conducted his trade, trading, because there's a lot of books out there that uh, is written by, you know, r- random people who profess to know what trading is. And of course, there are some real good books about uh, trading, but quite often it concentrates on the life of the trader. But this book talks about the, tr- the process of trading too. Uh, so that would be a, a good uh, book to have if you are talking about trading. Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, track record, we we uh we have uh, now quite a few num- a few copies of a 
uh, autograph book that we would uh, love to share with uh, uh, members of the audience who write in to us and tell us uh, if they have any questions uh, uh, thoughts about this podcast. Um, to see if, so that was by yeah. Alex uh, Gurevich, was it? Yes, correct. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that book out. Um, last question for you. What has been the best purchase that's probably had the most positive impact or something that affects your life in a big way that is under $200, under, 200 US dollars? Under 200 US dollars? Um, mm-hmm. I guess uh, that would be an internet connection, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about this microphone? Yeah, this microphone <laughs> is okay too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that. Now, um, where can people find you on social media um, and in the world, on the websites and, and, on, and whatnot? Oh, uh, they can check out our uh, website, uh, www.trackrecordasia.com. Uh, my, internet, my email address is there. Drop us a, uh, an email with comments or questions, uh, I'll, I'll see to it that we answer it. I'll answer it personally most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. And uh, for social media, I think on Twitter and Instagram, it's just at Track Record Asia. Yes. Uh, Twitter, capital T R and A for each word. Um, but we'll make sure we link all of that in the show notes as well. Um, v, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Like I said, it'd be great if we can twist your arm to come back on because there's still a lot I want to cover. Um, thank you for getting up early and doing this with us. Okay, great. no problem at all. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'd love to be back. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G O M A R K E T S. Until next time, thanks for listening.